Fathers Who Bother is made possible in part by the contributions of listeners like you. To support Fathers Who Bother, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash fathers who bother and become a monthly subscriber today. On the next episode of Fathers Who Bother, I talk to Philly's own DJ Cool Marv on naming his son Thelonious, co-parenting after divorce, the Christmas mix that became a bonding project, the one time he had to raise his voice, his son following in his musical footsteps, and Welcome to Fathers Who Bother, podcast for men who are dad as we want to be. My next guest is one of the main reasons I used to hit up House of Nubian for his buttermilk mixtapes in the 90s. Born and raised in Philadelphia, he started DJing in college at Emory University and grad school at Columbia University. By 1998, he started a 22-year run of being HBO's go-to DJ for this series premiere events, Emmy and Golden Globe parties. His talent is taking him across the globe in London, Barcelona, Abu Dhabi, Moscow. He is currently the resident DJ at the Apollo Theater Comedy Club and the Tuesday evening resident DJ at Soho House, New York City. He is also a proud brother of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. But today he is going to talk <laughs> about his gig as dad. Please welcome Cool Marv to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, Mr. Barrow, Jerry Barrow. Appreciate it. It is uh, it's great to be here. Thank oh man, this is yeah, yeah. Y'all understand to my to my previous listeners, if you've been a fan of the podcast, you remember how I evangelized Rich Medina when he was on here. Mm. Let me tell y'all, Marv is for me is the yin to Rich's yang. Like they both fulfill this part in my spirit musically. You got to understand if you haven't, if you're not familiar, go to Podmatic, go to, we're going to get him to plug all the links, but Google cool DJ Marv, cool DJ, cool Marv. If you're not familiar, just sit back and and ingest some of these mixes, this man, or if you have a chance to hear him live, if you hear Soul in the Horn advertised or anything where he's going to be playing, make it your business to get there. I just had to say that. Oh, man. He's one of the DJs that saved my life. This, this, <laughs> this guy right here. So this is, this is you know, a great moment for me to, to talk to. I don't think we've had a chance to talk in like maybe 10 years. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Because we were talking about those HBO gigs last time, back when I was at the Urban Daily. Yeah. And it's been a good run for you with those. Like It's crazy. It only stopped because of the pandemic, which is, mm. uh, it's mind blowing to me. That started all the way back in 98. Um, did two parties for them back to back, like uh, about a month apart. First one was for John Leguizamo. He had a, production theater production called freak and then they adapted it for tv uh, and then the chris rock um show season rap party that's where all the cast crew um people behind the scenes editors camera people um but quick flashback when i got that gig i was like oh my god the chris rock show cool and then i was like oh my god grandmaster flash is the dj on the chris rock show Right. And, you know, at this point, it's 98. I've only been in New York since 92. Mm. I've watched New York like everybody else from, from afar, from Philadelphia. So um, I'm that kid that went to go see Crush Crew with his grandma. I saw nice. my, my grandma was like, let's go to the movies. And we saw Crush Crew. I remember seeing 
Run DMC, the part with J-Master J, run, 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 run. I remember yeah. that Sheila E scene. So I, I had these fantasies about New York. Um, so that leap from a kid looking at the screen, like, wow, Run DMC, New York City, wow. To being in New York City and, and, and uh, for education, educational purposes, mm-hmm. uh, for me, that meant more than just the, the classroom. And um, because I came in just like ready to just uh, submit to everything New York had to offer, I was like a student of life uh, while here, my refuge music. Um, I'm, I'm also that kid that uh, went to his room and just blended records uh, until I got tired. Um, and maybe looking back on it, that was uh, how I dealt with uh, uncertainty, boredom, uh, entertaining myself whatever but you wrap it all up in one and I realized oh um, okay that went together that that was smooth okay that might be all right um tapes gigs downtown west village east village um meeting some huge people literally uh within a week of stepping foot into New York City as a student I met Bobito on like my fourth day at Columbia University which is pretty incredible uh, doorway to to that world. So my whole year there, one year intensive program in journalism, I was at the Stretch and Bobito show every Thursday night. So I was retired <laughs> in class on Friday every oh, wow. week, but it was a sacrifice that that was worth it. Uh, I was there when Nas came through the first time. Word? But, oh yeah, uh, wow. Souls of Mischief. Um, where the artifacts used to come up there on a regular basis and just chill, curious George. So Bob and Stretch here, they said, be like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. That's like, yeah, Marv just sat there quiet because I was like, this is real. This ain't even like the video. This ain't BT. This is real dudes, right? <laughs> but so, you know, another great person, Glenn G. Man Holt, rest in peace, uh, fraternity brother who, uh, Another one. I, I I sent a letter to Flavor Unit Records, Shaquem Queen Latifah, to ask for records. Hey, I'm a young DJ. Uh, can I get in your promo list? I sent a card with the letter. The card had a bulldog, one of super basic business cards. And he was like, "What's that card about? What, what, what's what's the bulldog?" And I said, "Oh, you even asking about that? I know what you where you going with this." <laughs> So instantaneous friends, uh, yeah. like and, that's like my brothers like, with the Pharaoh, yeah. anything, any, any member of any card or anything you see you walk in their office and you see a Pharaoh on the wall, like what's, what's you got a Pharaoh on the wall for? And it's like, oh, okay. Then, then that starts the conversation. So I know, what you, talk, I know what you mean. So, you know, fast forward, mm-hmm. he at the time was uh, doing street promotion for, Geffen Records, who had just signed a Roots. So he was walking around with boxes of the Roots album. I, I believe I have somewhere in, in this room, probably five white label, uh, full albums, double albums, double vinyl, right. Roots first album. But uh, he was like an ambassador to New York, to the record industry, uh, nightlife even, introduced me to DJ Spinner. Um, you mentioned Rich Pedina before we signed on. You know, we're both from Philly. I did something called Buttermilk in Philly, B-U-T-T-A-M-I-L-K. Google that, you'll find out 
one Google that. <laughs> you know, Jill Scott was on early, early uh, before she had a record deal. Buttermilk had events, and Rich was basically my, my um, sort of co DJ. I was the DJ for Buttermilk. Um, if I couldn't get down to Philly, I'd ask Rich, "Hey, can you do our, our poetry slam this month? Whatever." So he would do that. And uh, Rich would confirm himself that the first time he got money put into his palm for a gig in New York, um, I asked him to do a spot called Bar Six, my very first gig in New York, regular gig. Uh, had something going on and I asked him if he could do it for me. And he did it. And I didn't know at the time that was the first time somebody put money in his hand for mm. a gig. So uh, connections run deep. Right. So I didn't even know that. I just know you guys <laughs> for your work and how you both touched me spiritually, like with your music. And not, so that makes perfect sense what you're telling yeah. me. It makes kind of, all the sense in the world. I'll be honest. It's on purpose. When you say yin and yang, that's on purpose because uh, I see what he's doing. So I don't need to repeat what he's doing. And mm-hmm. I see he's focused. He's putting all his skills to use. So I have a lot of respect. I have a, that, that sort of, um, I don't know, maybe classic uh, respect that a person would have for another who's really good at something. So that's why there was never like a cool mob Afrobeat party. It was like, oh, no, nah, that's, that's, that's done. Yeah. Yeah, you run with that. And then also you applaud that because the world of music, you need contributors and people to cover all the bases, right? So, um, I know there's some bases you can't like take one person can take it in like a Prince or a Michael Jackson. You can't be like, I own that, but everybody's going to do that kind of tribute. But if you put your mind to it and you, you get into, I don't know, lovers rock and go deep, you know, and, and you become the, the superior DJ for that. I'm going to listen just to be, uh, first of all, entertain and feel the music and then to be like, oh, what's that? <laughs> you know, yes. uh, uh, just uh, to work some things in future sets, but I wouldn't go forth trying to do what that person does. Right. So that's where, you, that's where you sort of unconsciously probably picked up that we're connected, but we both do different things. Yep. And that, that's very much, uh, yeah, I believe, on purpose. For started, started in like 95. <laughs> right. So you started in 95, but like maybe a, it seems like a few years after you find out that you're having a kid, if my math is right. <laughs> this is, uh, all right. This is where the tissues may come in because the, the epic, um, this story is, is uh, November 13, 1999. I was in Manchester, England, um, thanks to DJ Spinner. DJ Spinner had been there a few months before. Uh, he had a cassette tape that I had given him. Uh, I went to maybe the second or third wonderful party. And uh, it was an LES, place may have been called Baby Jupiter. So I gave him the tape, he's busy, I, mean, I don't even, bother him to give a pound or whatever a talk because that's how I respect DJs because he's doing work he's his imagination at work hands at work you know brother can't be trying to hear how your day was and all that so I put the tape down enjoyed myself bounce uh, a few weeks later he calls me he's like hey that tape 
man, I played it. I was in the car with these dudes from Manchester. We're going to another city. They're like, who's that? Who's that? <laughs> really? And it was, a, it was kind of a chill out tape. It was one of those House of Nubian, 90 BPM, 80 BPM things. Uh, you can't imagine how I felt, felt to get that call um, probably around October 99. Mm. Uh, and I'm with my son's mother. Uh, so I'm feeling real good because we're, we're new. And this huge opportunity to play in a club overseas in Manchester, England, um, that gig happens. And I, I go over well, um, super nervous but um, just kind of went within myself and just said, I can do this. I, I, I'll just do what I do naturally. And I'm going to look up and they're going to be like, we're with you, brother, or I'm going to be running <laughs> from, <laughs> from cans of beers coming at me. So Manchester <laughs> is, is for real. They don't play. They do right. not play. Right. Um, so I finished and I'm like, elated. I'm like, wow, here we go. The, the whole world opens up now. Um, get back to where I was staying. And it was with a gentleman named Mark Ray, who was part of a group called Ray and Christian. And part of the reason I ended up in Manchester is I had some of their songs on mixtapes. And they had heard about me, but I think Spinner knowing me sort of double confirmed it for them to, to invite me over. So I'm back at his place. I check email and it's like from uh, my, my son's mother and it says, um, um, I have someone inside of me and, and someone growing inside of me. Um, and I knew exactly what that meant. So at the gig of my life that opened a whole portal to the world and within two hours of that, in the come down, I find out that I have a child on the way. So it, it, it was a, a life-changing day and night. And that began the journey. Um, uh, Thelonious Hiawatha Coleman, uh, his mom wanted the name Thelonious. She was like, Thelonious. And I was like, okay. I mean, nothing. I drew blanks on like another counter name. I said, but right. please, um, my, my, my dad's father, his name is Hiawatha. Um, and he's, he was known as Reverend Hiawatha Coleman in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So um, my son's mother is, is Native American and Italian. So I thought it would be appropriate to honor my granddad, honor his uh, part of his heritage. So Thelonious Hiawatha Coleman um, conceived somewhere in November 99, came along <laughs> July 14, <laughs> 2000. Cancer season, yes. Season ten, ten days after that, you know, it was real close. That's um, so dope. It was so a little dope. late, but I was really happy it wasn't a same birthday. I, I didn't really want that. Right, I wanted him to have his own day. Mm -hmm. I was um, when I realized it would be in the July. I was encouraged by that because I, I thought we might have some, you know, just energy, just connection, just based on that. For um, sure, uh, intuition. And, uh, and, and I was right, because the, there are many times along the path where um, I understood um, where he was with very few words. Um, and I could tell, because he sort of, there's this look your child gives you 
their eyes look a little different. They open up a little wider um, and you see a little bit of that, like, you know, seven and under face where, you know, as a parent, you can do no wrong. Um, <laughs> just like, okay, you, you just heard me. You just heard me. And that is, uh, that's how a child feels love. You know, when they look at you and they see that you've broken out of do this, do this. Okay. You know, handle your business. And you, you crack open enough to hear what they're actually saying or caring about. And um, I do think that um, being close, you know, in July um, definitely played a, played a role in just um, my, my sensing um, what needed to be addressed, uh, what needed adjustment, what needed uh, stern, um, and what, what needed, um, I don't know, force. And what I mean force is um, just um, extra bass in the voice and, and a certain <laughs> voice, a certain voice that's really on ice until it's like, oh, Daz has that voice. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and I don't use it. I don't just run it wear it out because you know you can uh, desensitize a child with that absolutely that's and, the key um, yeah and then they <laughs> they sort of figure that out and then i tell you i'm just sort of free freewheeling sure. um so fast forward to 2005 um my son's mother said i don't know i don't i don't like where this is going i want to mm. change the direction so mm. I'm going to be out. So mm. that's a lot of words for I got left. Mm. That was a head crack. That was mm. uh, um, uh, a lightning strike. That was uh, hit by a train, whatever metaphor I can come up with. But I know I was blown all the way apart by that because for the first time in my life, I'm, at, I'm like 35 at this point. I've had to sort of reevaluate what I've um, latched on as true and meaningful and, um, and what my intent is in life. Um, so that's, that's a lot of words and not specific, but let's just say I had a certain attitude about, um, uh, uh, I don't know, just um, a, a, an issue that we had was because I was going for this DJ thing um, and it's very unpredictable, very unstable. It's feast or famine at times. Oh. And with the child, um, those waivers of stability are this extremely uncomfortable. So if you're on your own, you know, you can withstand that. But uh, when you have a family, you're really asking your family to ride that roller coaster with you. So Sure. Um, she just sort of evaluated that and was just like this roller coaster, eh, you know, it, it can be fun, but it could also be worrisome. And she just wanted to live a different life and have different um, concerns. And um, it started in August 2005. So what also started was the whoa, what, what? Because I, I sort of was presented with a version of me that I didn't recognize. And I was like, oh man. And then 
my mom had this funny thing she would say. She said, don't, don't look at me with a dumb look. I totally had a dumb look. I was just like, what? Why didn't you say this earlier? Why didn't you talk about this before? And what I found out is I just had a, a fair amount of unconscious um, behavior. So that can be formed by, so you, you, you're born into a household, your first role models are your parents. Then um, in, in you, outside your house, your family, outside your family, your block. So whoever you come across as a male figure, um, they're gonna shape your views. And um, if you ever came across anyone that uh, had anything less than respect for a woman, then that person's impact words, you know, they become part of your alchemy. Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of rolling with it and nothing really smacks you in the face to make you consider uh, how you process uh, the way you feel toward or act toward women or act in a relationship. So was this your father for you? Was was that example your father or someone else? For me, it it definitely, definitely was, was my father. And, um, that's a great question because part of the reason I was really cracked open was when I was young, I was a mama's boy. So uh, if my mom was upset, I was, I was like, man, what you do now, dad? And yeah, what you do now, dad, was probably a thought that I had uh, constantly until uh, my late 20s, 52 mm-hmm. now. And my late 20s, I went to see my dad and he was, uh, you know, uh, explaining to me, he said, you know, son, I don't know how to say this, but you know, it takes two. Because he, he could see me looking at him like, what you doing, man? What's what's happening? Um, and he just looked at me like, I think you're old enough to understand this. It takes two. And for the first time in my life, I, I thought about uh, my sort of unconscious favoritism toward my mom and, and, and having a, not a bad relationship, but just this relationship where I thought um, um, there were too many instances of friction or or uh, something going on but nonetheless they they stayed together through that and they evolved uh, he evolved um he was also a vietnam war veteran um before he went to vietnam uh in philly he he um he played high school basketball with earl the pearl monroe Nice. Um, wow. It was in it was a baseball person. So um from what the family tells it, um he apparently was got a letter from the Pittsburgh Pirates. But um I don't know what happened. Something wasn't wasn't clicking for him uh, at that age, and he went to the army and got injured. Um actually had a military burial. Um in 2009, all those years later. And wow. that's a, another subject. But his journey from uh, a person who basically was, was dealing with um, general Black manhood, right? Mm-hmm. Then you add, <laughs> go to war, come back and talk about strong silent type. I didn't even know about it basically until um, the last half year of his life that the military was going to have anything to do with 
um, his care and his and his uh, send off. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, never spoke about this. Wow. In the picture in the in the uniform, nothing. So he came back clearly. Like, what happened there? It stays there, but it also stayed in here. And it made me re sort of replay, rewind and replay every time I was like, come on, Dad, what you doing? Because um, that adds a layer of understanding. So you got more empathy for him. Yeah. So for me, when, when my son's mother was ready to go, I was like, oh, God, because uh, I think at the time he, he clearly preferred preferred his mom. She was um, uh, she uh, when we met was earning a master's degree in early childhood education so mm. she had a way with children and um easy comfort easily got into motherhood and, and doing all the the right things that you need to do um and um she's a she's absolute massive uh uh the the, the scale is tipped massively on her end for his academic accomplishments mm-hmm. uh, so when she was going to go, I thought, oh, my God, my son's going to be looking at me like that. He's going to be looking at me like he's looking at my dad, like, come on, dad, what you doing? <laughs> oh, my, my heart sank. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not losing my kid because then I started to have this flash forward. So I had the flashbacks, then the flash forward to him at like 10, him at 15. And I just try to like picture the relationship that I wanted. Um, how I felt at 10, how I felt at 15, what what I wish I had heard or knew at, at 10 or 15. Um, it, it, right away, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about my son's, first of all, he's born and, and he's living in Washington Heights. Um, and I'm, all I can see is teenage years and this, um, you know, society puts this conflict on us it's not true it's not really real every commercial you see got kids in it with parents you know the kids are like oh you dumb parents or they're not even looking at them they're on the gadgets or whatever or for a long time you know right. people have been playing with that image right but i think sometimes people kind of feel like well that's just how it is your kid just goes and they get they get strange you know people have all things they say to to um explain to themselves why the relationship the everyday all good relationship from from baby toddler little kid preteen all of a sudden they want to go in a room um in in those early thoughts um i committed to something i said well I feel like if if uh, I look at my parent, <clears throat> I'm concerned about something. They don't hear me. They just do some generic parent speak. That I believe is the beginning of the this the, the crack. Because mm-hmm. the child is then saying, "Hmm, I see this." I ask them if they see this. They say, "Look at that." That's when the child's like. Right. Kids can spot the jig. <laughs> Kids can like, spot right. the jig early. They may not be able to articulate it, but they can feel it and express it like something's off. Something's yes. wrong, you know? Yes. So I, I knew that going forward, I was going to have to really tend to what um, 
what had been sort of revealed to me as, as shortcomings, because um, at 35, that's a lot of life lived mm. and tomorrow's not guaranteed um, for some people, you know, maybe me that's halfway through, maybe more than halfway through. So I don't want to go forth in this like, oh man, I, I, am I going to just be this guy that um, I am who I am. It is what it is. And, you mm. know, that's how it's going to be. Um, I've seen that attitude and I've watched the, the arc of the lives of that mindset. And um, if you're not a, a star entertainer or athlete, if you're just living real life and inflexible about certain things, then at some point you run into a wall with that inflexibility. So um, that could be uh, health. It could be, you know, attitude about something. I'm just not going to do that. Why? Because I'm not. Well, at some point you have to really answer that question. So I got into a mode of really answering questions. In the meantime, the co-parenting started. And I'm like, oh, man, he's going to come over here wishing he was back home with mom. So I was feeling real insecure, feeling real like, oh, boy, um, is history going to repeat itself? So mm-hmm. I was real humble, actually. And um, I, I really got into the, the, the entire day role. So when you're together with mother, there's uh, teamwork we're supposed to be, um, but you're jumping in at times. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, wake him up. <laughs> get him <laughs> washed up, get him dressed the breakfast, okay, get out in enough time to get the train to get to school and all that stuff. Um, a certain discipline came with that, um, not being able to take those moments off. Uh, okay, she's doing that with them now. And, and um, what I did was, uh, because I was just really uh, um, at first motivated by fear, because that fear eventually morphed into something else, um, um, emboldened uh, because I was seeing that our connection was solid. Um, It wasn't strained. It was natural. Um, A fact, especially at that age, five, six, your child just loves you. Like you, you could be a really, you know, mean, ornery person. And I tell you, your child, they don't know anything other than to love you. Yeah. So you can do something with that. You can keep on being that. Ah, get away from me. That's bad time right now. Leave me alone. <laughs> or you can feel like, you know what? Bad time is some bullshit. You know what? Come here, son. You know, we're going to watch this. We're going to do this. Because there's been plenty of time for dad time. You know, there's been plenty of time for, for me time, me to do what I want to do. And I knew it's like all or or partial or nothing in partial would feel um, like going through the motions, like passing time. Okay, time to go back to your mom. Now, so I would do stuff like turn the phone off. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't like some crazy sacrifice. You're talking about after school. Um, so I had the time, I had the daytime. He gets back, was that say four o'clock? He's doing homework. So I got the, the solo piano music going or something, uh, quiet. And um, 
I read at that time, or I just do some work um, similar to what he's doing. So he's studying and he's looking at me doing the paperwork, paying the bills, whatever. Um, but I just created that environment. <clears throat> I never, never, ever disrupted it, never changed it. There was never a day like, your dad got DJ tonight, so I'm sorry, son, I got to bang these beats while you, <laughs> hope you can concentrate. Hope you can concentrate. Right. No, I handled my business before he came over. You know, uh, or I handled my business when he went to bed. But from when we walked in the apartment, from picking up from school to, all right, it's bedtime, read the book, the last book read. Right. That was all his time, you know, because I'm looking at it like, okay, well, that's four to basically nine. That's just five hours. And then you got the next morning and the commute. Then we have a weekend get together. So that's more time. Um, you know, it's like all day, Sunday into Monday. Um, and again, I would just clear the schedule, uh, not answer texts, not pick up the phone, whatever, because I wanted him to look at me and see me looking at him. And um, I'm fortunate because those formative years for him were like 05 to 08. And that was that was, you know, we, we had the phones. I could take pictures then, but that was before the the um, or Twitter you know, share, share the share everything culture, right? Before so, Instagram, before yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I didn't really consider at all. Um, oh, I mean, I had a, like actual camera with film. You know, I took pictures that way. Right. So, yeah, I took plenty of pictures, but there wasn't this um, sort of always ever present. Um, uh, instruction from uh, technology to right. show people my life. Um, I, I took a lot of pride into ba basically stepping out of the stream and being all the way there because that was the least I could do. You know, you're talking going from seven days, 24 7, 365 to mm, about, uh, I don't know, 16 hours a whole week. So if you can't be like, son, that's all your time. Right. I, I, I would have felt um, uh, like, like I hadn't grown as a person. I, I would have felt um, like I was putting my relationship with him at risk. Um, that How he, did you talk to him about the divorce? He's only five or six years old. How do you, because I know there are men listening to this who are like, hmm. how do you do this, bro? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I believe um, uh, at the outset of the, the separation, um, uh, me and his mother were, um, we had known each other for um, five or six months before he was on the way. So we were like, okay, let's get married and let's, let's just do it. So we just dove in. Um, we didn't have a courtship or even a real true getting to know each other, um, period, um, extended period. It was months. Um, so all along, it was just sort of this slow erosion and difference of how she wanted to live and, and how I was living and what my possibilities look like. Um, that was something to straddle, but we always were even keel. Like we always had a, 
uh, a fairly smooth vibe. Like, um, yeah, she's just, just like a mellow person as well. So it wasn't this sort of um, heavy disagreement. Laden. Wasn't fire and ice. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> it was that just... at all. It was almost like, oh, shucks, this is not working. Mm. You know, um, oh, it hurt. But it was that tone. Mm. So it wasn't like, I'm the hell up out of here, bro. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was like, it was just like, uh, I don't like the direction and I just need a change. Mm. So I knew that um, right away, um, the gut punch of that. Um, yeah, because it, it's like ego, all that stuff. Uh, everything you thought you did right, thought you was about that. Um, gave you gave you reason <laughs> that's in question so mm. um i didn't really talk directly about it um until he was about n- nine or so mm. and um what i did is i just got into the action of being being dad um and just let being dad be the energy the relationship that he and i have dad and son um one of the first things I did, which um, is a magical story. So I'm in my feelings, I'm in my thoughts, like, oh my God, how do I prevent this this, um, thing where my son wants to just be at his mom's or he's like, oh man, I gotta go to dad's house. I wanna come to dad's house and be cool. (laughs) So yeah, within the first, um, we separated and uh, we had a conversation in August, she moved Mm -hmm. in October. So October to December was a real uh, transformation. So um, I'm accepting the new reality and then I'm trying to um, craft a relationship, a relationship um, where we have one, um, where it's, um, you know, we're, we're just naturally close and we preserve that and we keep it. And it's not something that we're cool while you're a little boy and then we butt heads and that whole thing. I didn't, I didn't want that. So I'm just projecting. One of the first things I could think of was um, he loves Christmas music. So I thought, oh, I could like put all his favorite Christmas things on like a mix and I could ask him to you know, approve the songs, you know, and be like, you like this? I should put, should I put this on it? Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, Temptations? Like, yeah. Um, and this it became this project that we did together. So this is really only two, a month and a half into the new life. Dive into this holiday mixtape. And um, I just thought, okay, we'll do this together. We'll play it. Um, this first Christmas as as a two household family, we this will be the thread. This will be like the glue. Um, um, yeah, yeah, this will be the, the thread. So he took to it and part of it was recording his voice. And he's like, hi, this is Thelodius and uh, wishing you happy holidays or something. And I'm so glad I did that because when I play it back now, I'm like, oh my God, there he is at five. Ah, that's the it always, best. It always hits me. You're right. But people don't, what, what happened that, <laughs> when it's all said and done, um, it's very possible words written about me might say, Kumar made 
one of the best Christmas mixes, which I'll <laughs> be cool with. I'll be totally cool with um, right. because what that meant. Um, and it was one of those things where that wasn't the intention. I put it out there in the world and people were like, oh, I like this. Oh my God, my mom likes this. Oh my God, the kids. And it it is in this backwards, I did not even know this was going to happen kind of way. For a lot of people who, who follow me as a DJ, Christmas, I get a run and they in their home every Christmas, you know, sure. to the whole fam. So if people ever wonder, like, how's Kobov like never anywhere? But this dude is oh, he's still doing gigs. Like, what how is he nowhere? And everyone, like, what's how does this work? It's because I, I enter people's mind every year at Christmas time. <laughs> because <laughs> The original OG story was I was scared to death of losing the love of my son. So that was my first attempt to do something, involve him, involve him in, in it so that um, when this is played at Christmas gatherings in our family going forward, it would always sort of bring him back to when we made this. Uh, we ran on to make three more of those. Um, true story. Uh, I was DJing in, in the village in Manhattan. Some friends were at the gig. A friend of theirs said, wait, that's the guy with the Christmas mix? <laughs> Came over, was like, oh my God, who puts that much work into a Christmas mix? And I'm like, you do. And she said, you know what? I, you ever been to Abu Dhabi? <laughs> True story. True story. This woman was listening to it over there, met me, was just like, I hear what you're doing. You're creative. I got this media summit. Can you come over and be the music director? Wow. That was 2011. So that's six years after. Right. I'm like this, you know, <laughs> for a couple of months trying to figure out how the beginning of my relationship as a co-parent dad and, and my son will go. So we fast forward to nine years old. Um, we took a trip to Miami. And uh, this, is, this is a testament also of uh, his mother and I. So his mother usually takes this trip. So she calls me like, I can't do it. Something else is going on. Can you take <laughs> And I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, of course. I'm sure some people out there are like, you had that conversation with your ex? She was like, go to Miami for me. <laughs> I got stories to tell, um, even about that. But while in Miami at nine years old, I, I, um, I said, you know, son, we should talk. Um, I chose this time because people say there's a general saying that kids understand more um, than you realize that they do. Mm -hmm. So I took that to heart as truth. Right. It's been re repeated so often. And uh, what happens in life, there's a lot of things that are repeated and that are true. But um, we don't try and test the tried and test it. Like we just say, okay, that's the truth. Yeah, I get it. The application to my life, optional. So I was like, application of truth to my life is not optional it is required it is 100 it is always on because i felt like i fell and i had to rebuild 
and I had to rebuild stronger and I had, and I'm the same person. So I'm like, man, uh, how do I do this? Um, it took a lot of um, um, acceptance, first of all, of the situation. Um, it took also um, respecting and not, um, not putting on to my son's mother this responsibility of why my life was the way it was at the time. Cause that's real foul. Cause she ain't really had nothing to do with, do with that. You know, your choices got you to where you were or where you are. So a lot of people have trouble with that. You know, that's kind of like the first thing you gotta do is accept responsibility. So I accept the responsibility for where I thought I didn't do well or out and out failed. Yeah, I, I went through a, a process from 05 to 09 to get to the point where I could speak to my son about what happened because I had to be um, in the truth about what happened and I couldn't have a version and I couldn't have a slant. I couldn't have a, well, you know, if your mom did this or your mom, it was not about that because what I'm modeling for him at that time is taking full responsibility. Mm. So um, I told him in words similar to what I mentioned earlier, like there were areas where I didn't do well and there were areas where I just failed. And, and I understood that your mom wasn't comfortable with going forth in, in life you know, with that much uncertainty. Right. And at the time, I, I couldn't answer the question, you know, what happens next? Where does this go? Because um, um, I'm, I'm sort of trailblazing in, in a sense, um, but also I'm, I'm trapped because I stopped working jobs in 1996, I had two jobs. So we're, we're into 2005, six, seven, eight, mm. 10 years out the workforce. I got to keep going with the DJ thing. Right. Um, so I'm trying to explain the sort of the really hard, hard um, realization that, that what I am doing actually did have an impact mm -hmm. on being able to keep a family together. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just explained that. And I also explained um, that, uh, that uh, you know, he, he's been, um, you know, been a really good kid the whole time. Um, he, I want to say something that, People are going to be like, nah, man, you lying. They might throw something at the screen. They're not going to believe it. But internet, go to work because I got receipts. I have not raised my voice to my son since he was nine. Nine. That means we got through preteens, high school, and to 21 without me. What? Without one of those. I believe it. Um, and, and the reason why is that work that I put in five to nine, 
that presence work. So, uh, and that, that comes out in a lot of different ways. It's all kinds of ways to spend time together. So um, when they, when they value your opinion, when they value what you think it makes talking to them and disciplining them that much easier. I'm not saying my kids are perfect, but I mean, I have the spotless not record, but I can, I I don't recall having to yell at them often. Like we've had some blowups for sure, especially (laughs) during the the cell phone era when he finally got a phone and trying to, trying to manage that, those expectations and calling him and he's not picking up and we're trying to get through to him and we can't get through to him. Oh, we definitely got at him. But in general, oh yeah, oh, yeah. they were both really good kids. But so I can see why you would say that, you know, oh, yeah. but that that early for they, if they care about what you think, yeah, it matters. It's easier to discipline them. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, I'll tell you what I what I, I raised my voice at nine. Um we were in Philadelphia Thanksgiving uh, weekend, and we went to the Ben Franklin Museum. Um, went to go have, went to the cafeteria. They had some real basic pizza. He didn't like it. And um, we had had a conversation before about food you don't like and how we deal with that. So he wasn't really heeding the advice. And I'm just watching this, and we've all watched this. They like won't say that they don't want to eat it and all kinds of things happen, acting, falling out, crying, just sitting there, all the stuff. So I just say, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of annoyed because I feel like I thought we were done with this. And basically I was like, I thought we were done with this with a lot of bass in the voice and other people in the museum hear me. <laughs> Well, if you don't speak up about what you want to change, nothing happens. Nothing changes. So speak up. Right? I put that special voice on, and he's just like, (laughs) they out of breath crying. And he's like, I don't like the pizza. I was like, how'd that feel? And look what happened. You didn't get in trouble. I got you. You know what I mean? I got you. It's all good. And um, I knew right then and there that I didn't want to um, create an environment where my boy was going to be uh, breaking down into tears. So right there, there was an evolution uh, and there was a moment where, where he felt vulnerable. He felt like he was disappointing dad, doing something bad, doing something wrong, doing none of those things. And it's important to throw that bass, but then just like the DJ, you know, drop the bass out. After you've done that, let it breathe. Don't over talk. Uh, Co-parenting and that 16 hour a week got me very crazy. I would literally think about like, okay, this is how I'm going to dress that. Mm-mm-mm. I wouldn't practice it, write it out or whatever, but I got very good at closed quotes. It's almost like the journalism back experience kicked in or even knowing how to interview folks, you know how to close your thoughts. You speak to your kid about something very important. You want to create, you want to create that echo. You want to create that reverb. Think about, 
um, throwback. Okay, you're old enough. I'm 52. So I saw Superman in the movie theater, the Christopher Reeve one, Fortress of Solitude. Uh, it's a Jor-El. Yep. He's in the crystals. So, you know what I mean? That's the inspiration. So he's getting the knowledge <laughs> from dad off, you know, in the distant galaxy. Well, consciousness is like that. Consciousness is like a galaxy in, in a sense, you know, constellations. So what you want swirling in your child's galaxy, you know, the stars are these nuggets, these gems, the stars shine, this gem of, you know, speak up about it. <clears throat> he put that in practice immediately. Um, first time some food was in front of him. I don't like this. <laughs> and it was like, all right. <laughs> what, was <laughs> what was it? What was it? I don't know. It could have been just, just some, some vegetable uh, uh, or a different uh, meat other than chicken. Um, <laughs> but then I'll be like, there you go. And mm. what happens is that there's a confidence because I'm parenting also looking at the way society is rolling. And I see how internet um, group think is, is kind of invading people. And I'm like, wow, he's really gonna have to understand that, um, you know, what he has been taught, what he comes to understand, what he learns, like, his world, his experience from his parents, schools, and all that stuff, it's going to get challenged beyond, beyond that bubble, beyond um, you know, the world we create for them. And I didn't want him to be completely unprepared for that. Mm -hmm. So um, I wanted him to be able to go out and go forth in the world, sure, like mm -hmm. sure. Like, not like, I don't know, maybe, uh, do you think I should do that? Uh, that's a, that's, that is, um, it's a natural way to be. Even the, the most assured people got to being that way by having the process of, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I go through that all the time. I feel pretty sure about my abilities, but I still check myself like, um, can I do that better? Can I? So, um, when I reflect on why I never really had to uh, get upset, I'm like, that handled so much. Just, it gave him a voice uh, and then his voice was heard and then action was taken. So that's super powerful. And then he got a hug and it was all good. It wasn't like, remember that time you cried in the museum? <laughs> you know, at the family reunion? You know, because that's that's where the kid go in the room, and then you know, you know, they begrudgingly hug you back because they're like, "You hurt my feelings," mm. making jokes. You know, like I really felt that. Mm. So it's it's it, it's, I think just being sort of tuned in to how they are, um, and knowing a part of acceptance, part of the acceptance of being a, a co-parent, single dad was all right, um, this is how he is. And we all go through this. Oh, why do you do that, child? You're supposed to do it like this, right? Mm -hmm. And then they do it their way again. And if you got it in you, you might see that there's a method to their madness. You might see that they, they got a different way. And that different way is okay. Because 
if the different way is always raises eyebrows or gets the side eye, then again, it's kind of like a little stab to their confidence, a little stab to even trust. So, um, you know, my son uh, loved basketball, loved basketball, but I got to say, um, he was kind of kid that didn't really play on the courts and the streets. There was like programs and things like that, very uh, participation oriented. So <laughs> not, not, not fierce competition oriented, mm-hmm. like everybody plays, yay, you right, know, that kind right, of stuff. Right. So we went to some courts and it wasn't like Rucker or anything. It was just like Riverside Park. Um, and I, I said, son, I'm just going to say this to you. You're, you're not a, you're not a tough guy. You're, you're, you're a lover, not a fighter. You, you are <laughs> very friendly. Okay. You, right. you are a reasonable person. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, you like to laugh and smile. That's that cancer. Um, That's the cancer zodiacs. These courts. Um, <laughs> so there's going to be kids there that are not living your life. They, there's going to be kids there that don't get three meals. There's going to be kids there that, um, you know, uh, they, they're having a tough time with, with mom and dad. There's going to be a kid there that's having a tough time in school and they're going to want to get their energy out. And I'm, I'm saying this to him. He's, um, I don't know, maybe uh, nine, 10 or so on the cusp because maybe he'll do junior high ball or something like that. And we go to the streets and it was just like every kid was Russell Westbrook to buy <laughs> the ball. I mean, mean mug. It was, and he was just like distressed. He didn't, he didn't cry. He, mm-hmm. you know, he tried, but he didn't get that in the streets, you know, that the, 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 the camp rules, the, okay, you go over there and he run over there, pass it to him. Right. All that stuff goes out the window. It's a whole different mindset. Right. And I said, you, you are not, you're not the hood kid who's hungry. You're not that kid. You're not that person. I said, can you do something mean to anybody? And he was just like, not really. And I was like, can you just snatch the ball from somebody? Like, <clears throat> give me that. And, you know, and he's like, mm. I don't like to. <laughs> I was like, so now you can imagine as a dad, every dad's like, hey, my kick and ball, my kick and ball. You know, that's a small little dream we all have, uh, athlete. But I accepted that. I wasn't like, oh, God, my son is garbage. Damn. You know, in front of him, like he ain't there because people do that. Right. Nah, I was just like, oh, it's all good. It's all good. I said, you know what? Just, just play. You like to shoot around. You like to shoot hoops. You know, that's that's what I did when I was a kid. Went to schoolyard. You know, three, two, one. That, be that. Don't let the actual game experience in the hood deter you from just wanting to shoot around and play. And to this day, he still shoots around and plays and stuff like that. So, but it was... Um, I wasn't like, oh, no, hell no, hell no, son. Get back out there. <laughs> Toughen up. Let's go. Let's go. Right? Because what if that's not his personality? What if that's your personality, dad? 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, <sighs> but you've done something not, right. They're not going to be you. They're not going to be you. No, they're not going to be you. No. Um, what they can be mm-hmm. is in the, in the trying to be you fractured mm-hmm. to the point where I know, you know, people 30, 40, 50 years old having conversations about how their parents wanted them to do this and they went, did their thing. And there probably wasn't a settlement. Mm-hmm. It was just like side out the whole time. Mm-hmm. Oh, you still doing that? Every time you go to fair reunion, you still doing that? You still like, I don't know if that question is encouraging or not. Is uh, like, are you waiting for it to stop? Because yeah, I'm still doing that. I'm, 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 I'm keeping it moving. Um, I knew any, any bad dreams, I had to shift them. You know, one of the ways that I shifted my sort of son being a star athlete thing, because um, I'm, I'm a person who still holds a record that was set in 1987 in the 110-meter high hurdles in my high school, wow. the Virginia State Championships. Gold medal. I have a gold medal from the Penn Relays. I played high school football, ran college and track. Right. So I was, I actually, um, and I understood this, was kind of like the opposite. So even though we got the cancer energy, mm-hmm. I had a different upbringing where it was like, go outside and go <laughs> take your lumps, all that stuff. So um, I actually, um asked a track coach um years years later um i was like the hurdles he's like hurdlers got certain mindsets they they i think they're a little crazy <laughs> and i was like that explains things because when when the hurdle race was presented to me as a freshman in college uh, in high school i was like okay where, where, are, where are they at let's do this <laughs> i wasn't like oh i gotta jump over that 10 times Right. And then get to the finish line. Oh, I was like, well, okay, how we do this? Right. So he, with, with all this sort of nurture, care, protection, the bubble, he, that was absent completely from his life. Just go outside and just go for it and mm-hmm. be physically. And, you know, you actually develop certain strengths. I mean, you don't even know you have until you get into organized sports just from running around. So I had that, but he didn't. And I understood that. So I wasn't like, boy, you're going to get good. I was like, okay, okay. Because you're good at some other stuff. You know, you're really good. And this is the flip script. And this is the information of my childhood and everything coming in. You're good with these books. Great at reading. Great in school. Um I was planting seeds at like eight, nine, 10 about what else he could do. So mm-hmm. he's not feeling like uh, uh, inferiority complex. Oh, I'm not the uh, popular kid. I'm not the athletic kid. I'm the bookworm. Cause you know what the bookworm rep is in America, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's whack, it's stupid. I remember going through, um, having to sort of check my own education sometimes. Uh, if I got back home, oh, what's up, them big words? You know, people really trying to make you ashamed because mm-hmm. you like learn. 
or like you know you you gave you gave a percentage of black away because you learned i'm like come on man i know that like i don't understand that but he wasn't gonna go through that i was gonna be like your brain is good bro your brain is good i'm feeling your brain so i'm like standing ovation to your brain and he was you know uh, receptive to like piano lessons things like that he had um pretty mad good good imagination drawing not um pure art but just creative he had he probably came up with fair estimate a minimum of a hundred different characters and you know comic books um so he that's has my, that's this, my two this easy all day. easy literary slant and i'm like well i'm gonna develop that because how many geniuses get uh pointed in another direction because it ain't what you know dad think they should be doing or dad's experience wasn't that as a child so dad can't relate so instead of stepping out of what you know only and learning something mm-hmm. you'll be like you know young boys you need to be doing this and you know you're going to force that square peg into the round hole and um you know you're satisfied <laughs> the kids like probably talk to their friends yeah because my dad wanted me to do this so um i was also projecting and thinking about my son not saying because my dad wanted me to do this um i wanted him to do everything because he decided to do it so um, the next, um, um, sort of game changing talk came around 14. Uh, he had been through middle school and, um, I think was, he was at a school that had trimesters. So after his second trimester in, in, uh, ninth grade, he got like a couple of B's, I believe, in his very first report card in seventh grade. So by ninth grade, he cleaned up uh, the the B's. Um, that's mm-hmm. the wrong way to say it. He he upgraded those B's mm-hmm. um, into A's, but he did it like right away. So seventh grade, all through eighth grade, first trimester, ninth grade, second trimester, and second trimester ends around thanksgiving time so we're on a thanksgiving trip to philly and i said son um you're you're very good at school you've had a's ever since um you know you you had those b's a couple of years ago i said it it appears you know what you're doing you know what you're doing as far as your study schedule you know what you're doing as far as you know making time to read do your work it's like you got this, you got this. You, you get, you've mastered high school. I told him that second semester into ninth grade because I wanted to instill confidence in his methods mm. because his methods they show results. So it wasn't just like get him son A's A's internet internet A's A's oh yeah. You know, it's like, mm-mm. dude, some A's, I saw you do that again and again and again and again. It's not changing. Then I dropped this other jewel on him. I said, so here's where 
since I said you're good at school, you got this, you got it figured out. You're now doing this for you. And this is where the, the hurdle or track thing came in. The, the next race you're trying to do better than your last time. Them other people don't even matter. I did a hurdle race. So dude is falling. Clank, 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 clank. Spikes coming at you. Legs, arms. Metaphor for everything I need. Because serene mind and, and focus gets you through that race, right? Um, <clears throat> I'm like, you have the mindset of a champion. You got this. You're doing this for you now because we just keep seeing A's, right? But you know that you got the A's. There's, there's another paragraph. There's another poll. There's another formula. Whatever you got to do, you normalize this. This is your normal. This is your regular. Like this is without effort. So now create sort of new levels for yourself to reach on this path. The A thing is a done, it's a wrap. Me and your mom love it. Hooray, we jump for joy, but we're good. This is now yours. Your education is not ours. It's yours. 14. Kept them A's all the way through high school, right? Um, nice. He had a, a um, was diagnosed with an arrhythmia at 15. Now, can you imagine 15? <laughs> you know, uh, people curl up in the fetal position for less, a lot less. Mm. Uh, he, he faced that like a man. Um, Doctor told him, we're going to need to operate. We need to go in there and remove this tiny, tiny portion of your heart to his mm. face, to me and his, his mom. I'm looking at my son, look at the doctor. I was like, hell yeah. I'm like about to cry in the doctor's office because I'm looking at him rise up to face surgery. And he had a choice. They were like, we could do it in a few months or we could wait, we could try this other thing. He was like, I want to take care of it. Just chin up. And the first time I had a little bass in his voice, I was like, oh man. That's where I'm sort of hitting my fatherhood checklist. Fortitude, guts, heart, inner strength. Composure, focus, self-management, you know, because that's what I know. Uh, that that's uh, I've been really fortunate to live a life uh, where half of it has been on on my terms <laughs> at this point. Right. So, but I also know what um, I could have done better. I also know um, what I could have tweaked in my own career. I also know what I would have liked to have heard as a 10-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 20-year-old. And all that alchemy was coming out in our interactions. So um, when uh, Kobe passed, um, 
my son is a sophomore at this point at Yale. And, um, and at this point he had, uh, we got the grades from uh, the first semester of the sophomore year. And I'm like, boy, you at Yale, straight A, like this ain't, like Yale can't crack the code. <laughs> you see, you see, you're like, all right, come on with it. Let's do this. Right. And for so many reasons, when you talk about the way society works, when people buy in admissions with uh, people questioning why you're there, mm-hmm. um, he said himself, I know I belong. Mm-hmm. Because I can say that to him. His mom can say it to him. Everybody can say it to him. You belong. You great. You special. You smart. All of that. Um, there's a lot of people who people who uh, lavish praise on, who feel some kind of way about themselves. That's not on par with how people see them. So, one of my challenges as a father was to is to sort of very. Uh, uh, subversively, very subtly promote wholeness as a person, mental, physical, um, nutrition. Um, So the the whole heart thing, clearly he was okay. Uh, He went through that. But can you imagine this boy had this, we don't know, it's a time bomb situation. Mm -hmm. He wasn't like, oh, I'm real in my feelings about my heart. I can't read. I can't do this work. I can't do this. We did have a conversation about that. And I said, son, yeah, this is one of those hurdles in life. So you don't want to put your own hurdles up. You don't want to, mm-hmm. you don't want to put hurdles in your race, but there are going to be hurdles that drop out <laughs> the sky because that's what life is. And this is one of those. And the reality is that you have this condition. Um, it's going to be taken care of. And until that happens, everything else keeps going. Everything else keeps happening. You're not just waiting for surgery and wondering. Uh, you stay occupied. You stay busy. Um, bam. So guess who that? He gets six months, not even six months, and he catches Lyme disease. Oh, wow. So this is a young man who had whatever it took to get through a heart condition that was like, oh, my God, you know, what's going to happen? That's a mystery. That's like having something in your head you just can't get out, you know, Mm -hmm. and a stain on you can't scratch off. But he managed that. He had a real good understanding of what he could control and a good understanding about what action to take to fix what was wrong. So I saw him literally man up to the doctor. Then when he had Lyme, he was like, oh, this is killing me. It's wearing me out. It makes me tired. I think what I'm going to do is put myself on a schedule. And he said, I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock. I'm going to see what happens. I'll go to bed at 9 o'clock, see what happens. He did this for like 
a year, it was kind of like a personal experiment, but th this is like his junior year. Mm. Right? Now, you know, kids try to stay up late. They look at that TV, phone, internet, this, that, the other. Mine up to one, like, two in the morning right now. <laughs> at 930, we're hanging out. He's over there like, and I'm just like, all right. You know why? Because our, our, our grown ass selves, we learn 30 years, 40 years in a life. Oh, sleep matters. Mm. Right. So, but then we got a whole life of habit and it's hard to just be like, okay, let's get that sleep. Down. <laughs> it's <a process laughs> sleep is serious. It's an issue mm. across the board in life. So he literally mastered his sleep habits and he, he still keeps them at 21. Mm. At 21, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, he's still 10 o'clock, screens down, books out. And from 10 to 11, he starts feeling sleepy. He put the book down. I think that might have extended to 12, mm -hmm. um, you know, once, once college kicked in. But um, he's up at 8 or up at 7, breakfast, 8. He's assessing what his day is going to be like. By 10, he's doing his first wave of work. Somewhere around 1 or 2, he's got his workout in there. 5, 6 o'clock hour, hour, he prepares his dinner. And um, and then I, I think for the evenings, that's sort of like uh, time with his little brother. Uh, his mom had a, another son mm -hmm. with her you know, new partner. Um, and uh, I'm looking at that like, wow, you grown, you more grown than some grown folk. Than, <laughs> like, you know, it's crazy. And um, another great thing uh, about maturation and sort of being sure about who he is and what he wants to do. So both 18 and yesterday, he refused. Yes, let's hear alcohol. about this birthday. This birthday party. This twenty first. He, he refused alcohol on his eighteenth, and he refused wow. alcohol on his twenty first. Wow, I'm I'm at fault. I'm at fault for that. You don't drink? Because I was going to ask you if you bought him his first drink. It's not that. Mm -hmm. It's not that I don't drink. It's um, he got into um, a great story. His college essay for Yale. Um, he decided to apply early decision to Yale after basically acing high school. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I got yeah, like a 1580 SAT in his junior year or something like that. It was, yeah, it was. Yes, it was. And, and that was like without all those preps and stuff, because he just right. remember the secret weapon is mm -hmm. mom all along is there with this like Jedi. Um, Jedi priestess, <laughs> educational <laughs> priestess. Right. I mean, you know, she did. She deserves to speak out um, because she, you know, she really, um, really helped shape his um, his love of reading mm. and learning. Um, when he was like nine, he started getting into pro sports, so he started watching uh, all Philly teams because I'm from Philly. So he got into the Sixers. Um, and, um, why is that story? So he really fell in love, went to games, got into the, the, the gear, the hats, fan, sports, 
it's great it's great for all conversations sports gives you every topic so um bonding off of sports watching the highlights but sometimes ESPN would be like oh my god breaking news child molestation at Penn State I'm like oh damn for real ESPN right now oh no <laughs> right now yeah, again, that's gets... one of those situations where mm. if you if you say something in that moment, your mm. child will lean in versus lean away when you speak. Mm. So in that moment, I was like, I hit pause. I was like, son, you know, it's early too. It was like breakfast time. I said, mm, child, it's a lot for the breakfast table. Yeah, I said, but you know what, son? Here's what they mean. I was like, there's a song, smiling faces sometimes. It's about people who smile at you, but they 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 don't want to be nice to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of started like that, and um, and got into um, so what, what inappropriate touch could be, and right. what he should do, you know, arms length, um, and move, get out of the room, get away quickly, you know, right. from this situation, um, recognize recognize if personal space is um, being violated, create mm. space, and then get out of that situation as quickly as possible. Um, but I was thrown into the fire, man, because I didn't, I turned on the TV. We learned about that just like everybody at the same time. Yeah. But other issues like South Carolina shooting. Mm. You know, that's the first time my son saw me upset when he woke up the next day. And, you know, I said, so a, I, I got to, I got to talk to you about why I'm not okay right now. Mm. And it was one of our first real deep dives into racial climate in America. Mm. Um, And uh, I focused the talk on um, um, the inspiration of the the racists. So, you know, that kid was wearing a jacket with the Rhodesian flag country that doesn't exist. Why? I said, because he's listening to his dad, his uncle, his granddad, his friends about this wonderful white world they want. And uh, it don't even exist. They're trying to make it real. And it's not reality, but they're trying to make it real. And that is real in life. So that's gonna be something to deal with going forward. There's people out there who are just anti, anti-information, anti-intellect, low logic, stupid on purpose. Hmm. Um, Because when you raise your child to have manners, ethics, to be smart, (laughs) one of the things we're preparing them, we're preparing them to be anomalies in this world. So we got to address that, hey, you're going to be a little more informed. <laughs> you might have a little bit more information, but how does that play out with, with my son? So he, 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 he will synthesize that moment, South Carolina shootings. He's getting more aware. He was around 15 when that happened. He's getting more aware of society. He sees what's going on. Um, at Yale becomes history major because he's like, this country, what's up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And yes, sir. Um, and then history majors become, oh, okay, I went to law school. 
mm-hmm. because as he's gotten into uh, the 1920, uh, before he went to Yale, uh, we had a, I like to employ questions. And his tenure at Yale, um, you know, began um, during the Trump era. So it's like, what's your generation going to do to to correct this? I was like, because I'm old. I'm in the cheerlead. I'm like, okay, I come out there, walk with y'all, but I'm really appreciating y'all's youthful energy. Um, definitely put some work in as far as working toward progress um, for us. Uh, but you know what? I'm also fine with cheerleading, applauding, supporting the new wave of ideas, young people, energy going forward. But it's like, what, what can you all do to get this place to okay? And I'll pose questions like that and open-ended because I know his head's like, well, I'm about to be on this path to law school and I'm about to be one of those people, Bayard Rustin, I'm gonna be one of those, Thurgood Marshall, I'm gonna be one of those, making a difference in the courts. I'm gonna be one of those, I'm getting amped because I do get that when I talk to him about this stuff. I'm like, some people are loud and you never hear them speak because they're getting crazy work done. Their heads are down. They're making it happen. They're they reading the legal documents. They are challenging things you know, through the courts. And the way this country works, you got to have all this education before you can even qualify to do that. Right. But he's looking at, I have been loved. My life has been good. Uh, I co-parents, but I still had two parents the whole time. Right? I had food to eat, roof over the head the whole time. I'm looking out here. I see where life's a little real, it's real rough. One of the things he did still in high school to reconcile his good life was to go to the Bronx every Saturday morning to teach reading. Nice. <clears throat> That's him going, I live on the Upper West Side. I'm good. I'm eating organic brown rice. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to be like, yeah, because I'm supposed to be like that because my parents made it like that. They made my life like that. Yay mm. me. He's like, oh, I'm eating. I got a soft bed. I got my own bed. I got my own room. He gets that. Mm-hmm. So he's motivated to share his wealth of knowledge. And he has been very clear in his intention. He wants to get into civil rights law. He absolutely wants to teach history specifically to high school age students because I've been in his ear about I was a college student learning stuff for the first time. I'm like, man, I'm like 20 years old learning stuff. If I knew that at 13, mm. how would that have yep. shaped me as a person? Right. Um, what would I what would I have looked at more and looked away from or looked at less? What choices would I 
what I've made to spend time on things. A big question that I asked and I and this is one of those questions I wish was asked to me mm. as a teenager. And this is in the the the, the lane of like birds and the bees. Hey, you got a girlfriend? What's going on? All the social stuff, right? Mm. I never asked once my asked my son if he had a girlfriend because mm. everybody else was mom, mm. uh, grandma, everybody. Hey, got a girlfriend? Thelonious got a girlfriend. Mm. I just was sitting there. He looked at me, and I just looked back, and I wouldn't say anything because he was never going to feel pressure from that mm. to go to go start a relationship, right. to live up to being a boy, to live up to being you know just just a, a you know the only people do mm. because um, I'm the kind of person that that really reflects. I think about situations in life where people had so much less and were doing a lot more. So, you know, 15 year old in 1920, you know, might've been running a farm or something. Mm -hmm. So I would say to him, like, what if, like, what if you're, you're here, your whole point is some invention, some something, you're going to bring something to the world. And what if you knew that now and you're working on it now and, until you do that? And let's say that's around 30 or so. I said, son, I don't even want you talking to me about engaged until 30. Mm. I don't want to hear it mm -hmm. I said, because you might have something else to do. So all mm -hmm. this time worrying about that, who, who mom going to like that, like who, who you like, whatever, let that be, let that come naturally. And I told him something else extremely powerful, powerful, you know, um, I said, you know, even with that sexuality, I said, um, don't, don't let anybody have that. Don't let anybody have that. I flipped the script all the way. I said, don't let anybody, don't be nobody's experiment. Mm -hmm. Don't be anybody's, uh, you know, just, oh, you, I take you. And right. that's where she is, and she wants to take you with her. Right. That's for somebody who values you, who loves you. Mm. Can you imagine if you heard that? Mm. We heard, go get them. <laughs> go get them. Mm. And you know the consequences of go get them. Yeah. You know, um, fatherless children, mm. dudes actually having the capacity in their brains to be like, that's her problem. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I couldn't, uh, I can't have anything to do with that continuum. Right. So he's walking around like, if you want this, you come correct. Uh -huh. But he's not even really thinking about that. He's mm -hmm. like, oh, what if I'm here to do something great? Mm. So, yeah, that's why, that's, that's why that's he's got like 300 books under the belt. I don't think, <laughs> I'm talking like these five, seven. Oh, dad's out there now. This is not just a Yale thing. Listen, mm. he is there. I'm so proud. Uh, it is something that I did not see. I did think he he was he, he could go to anywhere he wanted. Um, I went to Emory University in Columbia. His mom went to a new school in Columbia, right? Um, 
it was kind of like, yeah, he could probably go to Columbia, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just, just by putting his name on the application. Right. So I had some peace with that, but again, it's going to be his choice. So while he's there, I'm like, you're the first person in the family to hit this level. I was like, you surpass me. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the point. And he's just like, what? And I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. I ain't jealous. I ain't like, oh, you kids get this and that. You can't, oh, I didn't get to do that. F all that. It don't matter. It, it don't even matter. It's just a story to tell. But so he the, is following in your musical footsteps. He's a he, DJ. <laughs> I saw this great clip where he's before he recorded a song for my father for Father's Day. Like, what? Yeah. How, how so, did you how do you feel about this music? He, what is his DJ name? Porkchop Willie? Porkchop Willie is one of them, but DJ Process. <laughs> DJ Process is his first, his OG name. Okay. Uh, and he's AKA Porkchop Willie, AKA Melodious Thelodious. Nice. Um, that was, uh, I will smile because I very um, um, consciously, with all intention, um, created this space for him to get into music without me saying, hey, son, be into this music. Mm-hmm. So I would do things like, um, and I hope some parents get emboldened by this, but like kids bop, kids anything, kids whatever version, chipmunk version, whatever. No. No. Hmm. Okay, they can do that. Yes, in their room, on their stereo, <laughs> or in their headphones. Hmm. But they're never calling the shots in the house over the adults. Mm. for musical energy no. mm. but you're also not making a big deal out of it I'm not saying so we're not listening to that garbage <laughs> we're listening to this right. never did that right. I would just for example uh, he's done his homework I go to cook dinner I'll put on a mix and I made a mix um, a jazz mix um, somewhere in 2006 or seven, there's a t-shirt company called Friend of Folk. Mm. And I did this 37. It's almost like an instructional. It's almost educational. It's only 37 minutes. Thelonious Monk. The premise is what if uh, John Coltrane and Miles Davis showed up to a Thelonious Monk concert. And I tried to imagine them just basically taking turns on the bandstand via existing songs and adding quotes from jazz commentators from like the 60s overlaying so it's like uh, you know John Coltrane feels like the way that humans express themselves music is the purest form of expression something like that right but I'm in there cooking I'm like you know slice slice whatever stir stir and that's playing with those nuggets I probably dropped that jazz mix cooking dinner, you know, uh, over over time, probably like 50 times. So, but I never said, all right, son, we're going to listen to jazz now. We're going to listen to real music now. We're going to listen to the <laughs> real stuff. Because you're automatically creating an adversarial relationship and you're automatically yes. feeding into that fake, yeah. fake divide yeah. of old and young. It's fake. Yeah. It's fraudulent. There is no music for old people. There is no music for young people. Well, there is. 
commercial America makes sure that there is music for young people, but mm. music is all time. <clears throat> it, it's not bound to, to errors or anything like that. And it's just joke. That's old people music and whatever else. That's, it's a joke. Um, it's not real. People just trying to like not feel left out, you know, with, with people into, you know, not old music. Fit in, but don't be dissing people who like learned an instrument, became virtuoso, sing with their real voice, you know, auto tune. Don't, don't be waving them off like that's old and not part of life. But that's a very few people who do that. You know, most people got good sense. Um, but I just kind of had the music around him. And then his mom was very key in him taking the piano lessons. He started out with classical music taught by a jazz musician. Then we flipped the script where a classical person as wild was teaching him jazz. So these mind, these mindsets were merging, these multi-genre, multi-situational mindsets of playing it straight classically and then improvising riffs and this sort of easy touch, easy guidance along the way. And something that I would do, he would practice. Um, he would practice and be a little, a little ten tentative. Sort of like, let me hit this note, this note, this note. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Every now and then, I hear like ding, ding, da, 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 ding. And I'd be like, hey. But only when he did that. <laughs> and I wasn't like every practice. Good job. Oh, my God. You did your practice. Mm -hmm. No. Good job. All right. Get ready for dinner. Just a matter of fact, another thing you did that you're supposed to be doing. Nothing special. Until you do a special. And then when you do a special, you're going to realize I've been paying attention the whole time. So where you might have thought, hey, really, is he really? Now, you know, I'm invested. I am paying attention, but I'm not going to gas you up. I'm not going to gaslight you. I'm not going to be like, you're the best. Oh, my God. Because then, you know, what happens? They get to 20, 25, 30, and they're like, I'm not the best. Oh, my God. And it's crushing. Mm -hmm. And then that's when people got therapy. That's when people got like. You know, oh Lord, I gotta go home for Thanksgiving. You know, I'm, 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 I can't help but to think in chunks of time. I grew up in that era where people asked the question, "What do you think you're gonna do five years from now?" I came up in that era. I don't, I don't know if they still ask that question. So I, I, I still think in those ways, like, all right, a couple of years we'll do this, five years from now, ten years. I really do project, and I know tomorrow's not promised, but it's, it's. It's one way that I have of sort of fueling um, myself uh, to keep going forward because I want to get to my dreams. I want to get there. I want to see them uh, come to fruition. So um, one of my dreams is a well-adjusted young man <clears throat> who isn't fighting the demons of his upbringing um, for 20 years of his adult life. Um, maybe on his own, quietly. Um, maybe through certain choices and behaviors, uh, and then um, going through the process of 
getting naked uh, in front of therapists after 10, 15 years of like, I don't know, something feels off. So a lot of that stuff is just carryover from youth, carryover from unresolved issues, concerns, conversations, um, and perhaps some carryover from um, maybe not being, a, not being seen for who you are and only being seen for who uh, people want you to be. And a lot of people, I feel like you might even say all people face that in some way or another. So I thought about that for him and I thought it'd be, it would be a positive if he had consciousness about that, um, that uh, those ups and downs in life. But first and foremost, I just wanted him to think that reframe the young man's um, 18 to 30 years and be like, yo, this is this is where like Langston Hughes wrote like <laughs> the book that thick or Ralph Ellison to candlelight. You know what I mean? People who like couldn't wait to do the most, not people who couldn't wait to do the least. I'm like, they existed, they was real, they did so much with less. Look at it with all you have in here, experience, resources. I can't imagine what you're going to do. I'll mm. say things like that to him. Mm. I, I was like, can you imagine what my mom was going through when I'm like, hey, mom, I'm about to go to England. <laughs> she did not see that. Mm. So that's what I did off of like Emory. Columbia, you know, ingenuity and, and perseverance and, and, and effort. Well, man, you, you're like, mm, you might be 20 steps ahead of where I was at the same place in mm. terms of, you know, what's on your plate and what's on your table. So I'm not even going to try to guess. I said, but I'm going to tell you this. And this is something uh, I sent them off to college with. I said, whatever you decide to do, I pre-approve. I got your back. I, yes, already. Just hear it in your head. You think about it, hear your dad say yes. You know why I'm giving you that? Because you've never shown me, never shown me that you can't handle that responsibility. You've never shown me that, that um, you know, you, you, you're halfway about something. You know, you're not halfway into something. You're not into it because they're into it you have purpose, you have a focus. Um, you're not going to make bad decisions. Um, if you were going to make them, you would have been making them already. It's real when people say to their kids and out of frustration or whatever, you know, why are you always effing up? What's wrong with you? Right? Imagine that person saying, what's wrong with you? to their own child, person they've been looking at themselves mm. since they came out. Mm. You can't answer that question. Mm. But what happens is the kid now goes, what's wrong with me? It's mm. like if you tell a young boy, boy, you bad, what's wrong, you bad. If 
the person who is your role model in life is telling you you are bad, it's a it's a higher possibility that you will feel like that's your normal. It's weird. It's weird how how a negative can get normalized. So he hadn't made any bad decisions. Um, and if he had a whoops or, you know, tried something and, and didn't, wasn't great at it, he was like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm not good at that. So he showed me over and over again, discernment um, and uh, understanding of himself. Now, can you imagine, I, I told him, I gave him this permission because so I went to grad school, journalism. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to be a DJ. Then I got all this chorus like, but what about the, the degree? What, what, what are you going to do? You went to school, why? <laughs> all these questions that only success would answer. That's it. And the pressure is I would not give that to him. I would not give to him what I went through trying to realize what I saw that I could do with most people around me not seeing what I was seeing. So I was constantly in a mode of the, the harder, the working harder, um, the uh, being more thorough, like laying my case out. So my case would have been tapes back in the day. So I knew if I was going to have an impact as a different kind of DJ and have a long career, I was going to have to have a trail because I wasn't starting off famous. You know, I'm starting, I'm late in the game. So I said, I got to have a bunch of mixes out that are legit, that people are like, yeah, that's good. Not me saying that's good. People saying, you made that tape? Oh, that's when you, that's when you know, you know. Um, but again, what am I doing? I'm like in the DJ world making tapes. I'm 25, 26, 27 years old. Man, if that didn't work out, I could have been looking at four or five years at the workforce and then like, oh, now what? <laughs> For him, he is not going to face that reality. He's not facing that reality. Um, I actually do hope he gets a law degree. He, he decides that uh, uh, he, he will want to maybe write a comedy show. He loves comedy. Mm. Cause you know what? Cause we are in a world now that we can make more so than ever. The pandemic has cracked heads, systems and societies to the point where you can, if you got a solid foundation, knowledge base, uh, will, intent, focus, you can pretty much say what you're going to do and do it because we're in the land, we're in the world of unsure. Everybody's checking with the next one. You like this? You like that? Should I do this? Should I do that? <laughs> Everybody asking for all these permissions. And wow, what if they had that permission from their own family, mm. from mom and dad? They'd be like, I'm doing this, I'm good. The ultimate people got my back. So I'm, I'm, my chest is all the way out. What's up, y'all? That's how, that's how I envision my son moving through life. In all of my moves, uh, um, conversations, activities, whatever, have been leading toward him being a solid, 
grown man with a lot of opportunity, with some versatility for a world that's really not going to be the world it was for me at 20 or for my dad when he was 20. Those, that's the past. It's over. It's gone. So there will be, and he could be the guy, the lawyer who, who does a jazz night, <laughs> <laughs> who also uh, mentors kids. Yeah, 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 you could do that. Totally. So that's what I've been uh, um, doing with him as, as his uh, dad in, in this co-parent situation. I learned a lot. Um, I felt a lot of humility. Um, and sometimes there was, there was shame. <laughs> there was, um, oh my God. Um, that was basically getting, getting my, my own life sort of reset and going in a direction that I wanted it to go in now that I understood life better, understood myself better. And that, I guess I can wrap this up with, <clears throat> it leads to this, a son, daughter, child, looking up at their parent and seeing their parent evolve is huge mm. because it, it obliterates the I am who I am thing, which kills people. People will eat whatever they're going to eat because that's what they are. And, you know, I don't know why I got this gal. I'm like, yes, you do. But yeah, that's my dad had that. I speak from experience. I ain't trying to tease nobody. Mm -hmm. He stopped drinking brews and eating crab <laughs> crabs because of gout. Them crab and the muscles. That's I'm going yeah, through that right now. So I cut out all of that that um shellfish. And I love me some shellfish, but it was it's, you know, it was doing me dirty. Yeah, man. It's just um I think it's important because I saw my dad do it. And I know that it motivates me in showing my son this. Who I was, 35, his mom wants to move out. Who I am, 50, 51, 52. That's a man, a grown man who has grown. Man. <laughs> I, had fun, I had fun yesterday calling him man. I was like, what's up, man? <laughs> Because the, the, I'm telling you, the the is what it is thing, the I am, I am who I am thing, it sends brothers to their graves early. Mm. Okay, so, oh, I drink, I drink like this because I can handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. I do what I do, I'm grown. You know, I get it, I get it. But like, what if, you know, life is unpredictable? It could be hard for you for a long time, but there's thousands and thousands of stories of somebody getting put on in their 40s and their 50s. Mm -hmm. And I guess the last thing I was really trying to instill in him is you want to be fit. You want to be okay for when your moment comes because, uh, you know, you could be the 20-year, 25-year overnight sensation. But what happens if when the, the spotlight swivels in your direction and you're all broken down? You'd be too tired to, to show up, you know, or you didn't make it to the party, you know, because you're like, I do this, I'm this, that's what I do. I just do this, man, grow the hell up. Keep growing, keep going, keep growing. Cause 
there's more to you. There's more to life. I don't know it all. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. But I, I like a lot of what I've learned um, since my son was, a, was five years old. <clears throat> it's made me better. Um, and I can see that my son looks at me and he respects me. Um, ultimately, I addressed this earlier. My biggest fear was allayed by my own efforts, really, um, which included self-reflection, responsibility, accepting it, um, pinpointing where to uh, get better and start to get better, pinpointing where what can fade away, fade out, let it fade. Because life is kind of these cycles you know, um, at 10 years old, at 20 years old, you think differently than you were, you did at 10, 30 years old. Maybe you still think a lot the same as you did at 20, probably shouldn't be thinking mm -hmm. the same. So yeah, maybe evaluate, you know, every few years. And this is out there. I'm not the only person that says this. Mm -hmm. I think Black Thought even talks about it. Just like self-assess <laughs> and just be real, be okay with like, I'm going to let that go because there's a, there's a phrase, um, give up to get, you know, people focus a lot on it. I'm giving this up. I'm giving this up. Um, but what you get from what you give often is more, gives you more energy and is more empowering more emboldening you stand taller your voice is stronger people look at you and they see your choices have made a difference in, in, in how you present and move through life because um, ultimately it comes down to show and prove so that's why i didn't really do too much you need to do this or you need to do that because i'm not an authority i learned on the job I thought about things. I thought deeply about things. I thought about cause and effect. I thought about the near and the far future. And ultimately, if you want to say I um, meditated, and, and what I saw at the end of that meditation is just uh, my arm around my son, his arm around me, eye to eye. Smiles, laughs, tears, whatever, but we're connected. We're holding each other up. We're pushing or pulling each other through all the way through life, all the way. That's my vision. So I'm going to see that happen. And uh, as a result, Thelonious is... Uh, 21 years old, uh, finishes junior year, starts his senior year, yeah, hopefully on campus. And um, this summer, he was working for the Lawyers Committee uh, for Civil Rights Under the Law, which recently was, was uh, helmed by Kristen Clark, who is now in the U.S. Justice Department working with Merrick Garland as the head of the Civil Rights Division. Mm -hmm. So... 
the rhetoric. Something I say to him often, live your rhetoric. Not to him about what he, because he doesn't really have rhetoric. I did definitely want my son to not be a talker. I was like, yeah, do your work, do it, and then show people what you did. Don't talk about what you're doing. Do it, and then show people what you did. So it's my invisible man theory. You don't need to be seen all the time, but when people do see you, you're doing something good. But those little nuggets, man, he takes them to heart. And he, I know for, for a fact, he's going to get to work. He's going to be a part of history. In this internship, he's already been like deep diving on some like Republicans in Oklahoma. <clears throat> Keeping track of things that they say for future court cases. Mm. So I'm proud as hell because I'm like, I'm a black man. He is going after this system in a way where he might be like a Bayard Rustin where people find out who he was 30, 40 years later um, because they'll see his name on all these documents that help, you know, move things forward and then help keep things forward. So he knows what his challenge is. He's up for it. I'm really happy that he has a direction. Um, he knows what his life is for until 25 at least. Um, he has this open permission to go for his, whatever it is. Um, and and please, you know, holler at me when you're 30 about like, you know, family and, and uh, love because this is your time, man. Um, and the construct of families and, you know, we're, we're no longer in the eras of a 22 year old mom and dad have two kids already. Mm -hmm. you know, that does still happen, mm -hmm. but not as a rule, not as a norm, right. you know, so we don't, we don't have to be tethered to old norms to the point where we're going to change our life to fit them, especially if so many people, most of society, it's kind of flexible about things. So I just wanted him to not think that he needs to run out here and go wild. Um, that sort of rite of passage. Cause I'm like, whose rite of passage is that? You know, is it yours? Could be, I ain't gonna be mad at you. You're human, you're male, young. Uh, but yeah, you might have something incredible to do, bro. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that turns out to be. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to end, yo. Thank you so much, Cool Mar, <laughs> for this fatherhood TED Talk <laughs> on, on how to raise a revolutionary. <laughs> this has been beautiful, brother. Um, I, I'm just sitting here wrapped in attention for the last two hours. This is easily the longest one we've ever done, but I, I hung on every word, and hey, I, I hope the listeners really absorb everything that you were putting up putting down today man thank you so much for your time and i'm, I'm about to go 
turn on a, a mix and maybe go make some dinner myself. Yeah, mix. <laughs> <laughs> just put it on. Let them be like, what's this? Yes. It, it's just, it's a little tiny flip of the script. Because if you say, I'm going to play this, they'd be like, ew. If you put someone that's good, they'd be like, what? what's that? We're we about to get it popping, brother. Yes, thank yes. you. Thank you. I appreciate so much. it. Thanks for all the extra time. I appreciate just so letting sure. flow. Yes. And I was I, I was emotional and feeling that I'm glad I didn't have to use the tissues. <laughs> I, I think I just had a ball. All that was just right here. Just let it out. The birthday was yesterday. So yes, thank you. Thank absolutely. You. Thank and thank you. And give give our best to Thelonious. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. Peace and love. Peace and love. Thank you. Peace. If you're enjoying Fathers Who Bother, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Fathers Who Bother and Twitter at Fathers Who Be. Thanks.